Welcome to Searching for Mana, the podcast focused on tech innovation in finance, fintech. I'm Lloyd Wired and I'm a headhunter. I'm privileged to spend my days meeting with some of the influencers, leaders and founders in technology and finance, from unicorn companies to financial disruptors. This podcast, we're going to be hearing from these individuals and really try to understand how they got into fintech, what they're doing, what their company is all about, and perhaps some of the trends that they're looking at in the market. David Breer, welcome to Searching for Mana. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, we are in the position here where we're going to be learning from somebody who has an absolute hit podcast on their hands and um, a award-winning um, challenger consultancy. Um, and both those things, I want to try and take as many lessons from you as possible. Um, being in a position where I have a not-so-hit podcast on my hands um, 20 episodes in and also a consultancy that's certainly not award-winning yet. So thank you very much for your time. Appreciate uh, you coming onto the show. No problem at all. I mean, I'm sure, I, and, and I guarantee you, 20 episodes in, your podcast is way better than ours was 20 episodes in. So uh, everybody sure. starts from zero, right? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go into we'll go into that a little bit. Um, could could you be so kind to introduce Eleven uh, FS, the business um, fintech insider? There's many elements to the business, I know, and of course yourself within that, please. Yeah, sure. Eleven uh, FS is a, a company that we started uh, just over four years ago now. Uh, before that, my background took in uh, management consultancies. I ran Gartner's global digital banking practice, uh, took in places like Infosys, uh, Indian offshoring companies. Uh, I was at Lloyd's Banking Group, at Aviva, uh, generally around financial services as, uh, as many different angles as I could do to, to try and understand the industry as, as well as I could before I did something for myself. Um, the sort of view that I amassed during that time period really was why we talk about today that digital banking is only 1% finished. Um, my experience was whether I was client side or customer side or consultancy side or agency, um, people really good people, but people doing it in the way that just led to billions and billions of pounds of an industry being spent that. Uh, without really achieving the outcomes that they were looking to achieve. So for me, it was, um, it was the timing uh, to, to, to do something different. And uh, because of the, you know, the, the transfer from everything that the, that analog world where banks were so uh, dominant, uh, the market conditions of that analog world fundamentally switched. And uh, in this new digital paradigm that we sit within now, then uh, the way in which banks need to operate is fundamentally different. And this is what we're helping people do at 11FS. So uh, whether it's you know, new banks that we're building with people like NatWest or Standard Chartered, uh, it, uh, whether it's in the UK or Hong Kong or the US, uh, we're helping people really understand what digital is uh, and then more importantly, really making it happen. And when you were founding 11FS, um, or, or slightly before that, actually, I'm interested in how which way around this came around. So, did you have um, a bunch of 
um, or a couple of individuals who you'd worked with previously who saw that there was clearly the need to move from analog to digital and you guys wanted to do something with your skill set in that space um, or was it the other way around there was a business concept and then the founding team came together um, I, I always think it's it's the way you do it rather than what you do um, so aligning with um, individuals on the the gap and the the paradigm shift that we were seeing actually means that you've got um, momentum in the thing that you're doing um, for me at the beginning of, of 11fs I mean I should say it's I mean I wanted to do something uh, and, and knew I would get to, to sort of have a, an opportunity to sort of enact that I mean even back in 2008 2007 uh, so you know it took us um, it took me the, the, that time to really pull together the pieces uh, and see the opportunity that there really was because I mean anybody can start a company but you need a you need the right market conditions you need the the right talent in the team you need the you know the industry um, switching and moving away from the big incumbent players in that space because I mean if not your organization is not really going to be successful so for me it was um, how do you get a, a group of like-minded folks together who could really take on the 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 big boys and take on the industry and um you know four years in so far so good but uh, there's a long long way to go yet and uh you know there's many more twists in this tale that we're we're definitely kind of going to get to but um i mean as it, it as it stands right now we're, we're um you know winning work from some of the biggest brands on the planet to work with some of the biggest brands on the planet which is uh you know four years in is uh is going pretty well yeah and i'll um dig into you know the, that journey um some of the victories where you're at now and where you see the business going slightly later in the show but just to stay at that moment um because i'm pretty interested in um founding teams who then go on to be successful um you founded the business along with um certainly jason bates um i'm aware of uh simon taylor is that correct that's right is yeah it, is so it, simon taylor Simon Taylor came in from Barclays. Um, I mean, he previously at TSIS and uh, various different places. Really, really smart guy. Uh, Jason, as you say, Jason Bates, uh, co-founded uh, Starling, Monzo, uh, a bunch of other organizations kind of before that. And uh, I mean, a long-term consultant, uh, Arthur Anderson Consulting. Uh, Ross Methven, who was um, a, uh, ran the research division at a company called Mapper. Uh, and I should say, I mean, Simon, I've known for for a, a forever. Uh, Ross, when I was at Lloyd's Banking Group, we worked together when he was at Mapper. Uh, and Jason, me and him just hit it off from the from from the first second we sort of got together. It was one of those. At some point, we know we're going to get a chance to work together. So, and and I think um, you know, for founding teams, the dynamic in that team is so so important. Uh, and actually, if if I'm honest with you, the the completion of skill sets, um, because very often I think people can. I mean, it's the old adage of pull together people who kind of complete your weaknesses. Um, you know, Simon and, uh, and Jason are uh, incredibly smart, you know, really, really smart people. Ross is a great business person. He can pull together plans. He can pull together the business. He's really good on the business development side of things. He's really good on product. Um, and actually, if you kind of pull that collective together, in a way that actually allows us to all point in the same direction, then it just great, it gave uh, great momentum, but also credibility. Uh, and from our perspective, you know, 
starting the company and going, well, you know, most organizations want to, uh, you know, play in the little leagues and, you know, work their way up the divisions before they start sort of uh, swinging in the Premier League. But for us, it was like, look, if we're going to bring the, the most talented team together in financial services, then you want to start swinging for the, cent- the fences straight away, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, co-founder of Monzo, blockchain R&D guy from, from Barclays, you know, let's do this, let's do something big. And, uh, and that credibility for us uh, really helped us in those early days, particularly because uh, it was very much about, well, look, if we could have collectively have done these things that the organizations would have been at before, then how can this team help you really make something happen? Yeah, and that team could have done a few things, of course. Um, you could have founded a FinTech business. Um, you, you mentioned the names that are headline um, names that Jason had founded. Um, why did you guys decide to, albeit of course the experience and the passion and the credibility was focused on financial services and improving it, why didn't you found a fintech business yourself? Um, so I mean uh, again it's uh, it's an interesting one because we, I mean me and Jason have had this this conversation uh, a lot and, and we don't rule that out at some point but yeah. um, you know I remember you know Jay leaving, um, leaving Monzo at the time and it was like building one bank is great and that's really interesting and you know doing that in one area and getting really into it but um but what's like really fun is doing like 40 uh and actually what we believe uh in this period of time is that actually we have the potential to build you know 30 40 50 banks globally of various different types because actually the industry is changing uh, dramatically through various different stimulations. So that opportunity is everywhere. And retail banking is interesting and, you know, Monza are doing great stuff. Um, but there's really amazing changes that are happening in wealth or uh, the SME space. Or So actually being able to shape and build things that shape the, the, the global financial setup. I mean, our aspiration at 11FS is, is really to fundamentally change the fabric of financial services and actually you don't do that building one bank you do that building many many more and shaping the way in which very large incumbent organizations actually act and deliver services to their business so um you know no disservice to to somebody who works at one of those that's a it's a really great thing to do um but i don't just want to build one bank Uh, i want to build 50. yep and there's an element um, to your business um, called the Foundry. Could you could you explain mm-hmm. that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, 11FS breaks out into a services business and a product business. Um, within that product business is um, two products. One of them is called Pulse, which we'll no doubt come to later on. But the other one is is called Foundry. Um, Foundry for for me um, really has the potential to to really eclipse everything else that we're doing at this stage because when for anybody who's you know listening to this who who actually um has worked at a big incumbent organization then actually technology is is the the sort of disabler in the equation to to really make things happen um and and i should say it's um it's not by stupidity it's actually by success that banks have sort of got to the state of the monastery because you know 300 years of being ridiculously successful and a you know three decades of mergers and acquisitions you know in recent times has led to multiple monolithic architecture that sits in the back office where every division and every product and every setup has a stack and technology um 
and that's okay but actually what it leads to is the situation we're in right now which um where the the things that are really most impressive about the the challenger banks is not really about like an app or a you know a portrait card or some you know shiny shiny marketing um it's essentially their unique economics that sits behind them their operating cost where using today's technology you can run an account for three or four percent of what a big incumbent organization would ever be able to do it with their existing tech uh, let alone the operational efficiencies or operational uh, processes that you can set up when you can de-risk and deploy a hundred times a day into into live production you know that changes the way in which the the businesses work in such a such a major way i mean the the principles of agile working and all of these things that are uh, really being trying to be adopted by big organizations are only really manifestations of technology that has allowed organizations to work in that way so trying to adopt agile and not improve your technology to be today's technology is is just a, a much quicker way of arriving at disappointment than than actually being able to deliver things. So, um, so for us, Foundry is what happens when you build financial services from today's technology rather than yesterday's technology. Um, our CTO is a guy called Ewan Silver. His uh, his background is, I mean, he CTO at Nutmeg before this, but um, really doesn't really consider himself a, a, a banker or in financial services. He he built the uh, in-play capability for Betfair. Uh, and he often sort of tells this story of, I mean, financial services and betting is very similar, you know, like different licenses, sure, but actually the, the general principle of managing risk and, you know, understanding and that tolerance and deploying things quickly and, and surfacing stuff. I mean, if you can, if you can deliver a, a system that can allow a hundred million people watching the world cup final and the, the odds changing every millisecond when the wind changes direction or whatever, uh, and surface that up to a customer to, to take action on, then, you know, lending and mortgages and current accounts and credit cards are really, 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 really easy. Um, so foundry for us is based on that principle. It's we consolidate all of the engines into a single one, we focus on agility and cost efficiency. Um, and actually for the partnership that we've put in place with uh, DNB, who are uh, the largest bank in the Nordic region, um, is building that out in a way that actually, it's not just a good idea, but we're proving it and proving it at scale. Because um, you know, within financial services, technology only really matters when it's been deployed and used by somebody. And, uh, you know, the partnership that we've got with DMB to build that and take it to market, uh, we, we really think will will change how the fabric of financial services fundamentally works. So in the play where the foundry eclipses the rest of the, um, the propositions, potentially. Um, and then if I think about uh, how banks are set up today and previously, which, um, as you say, there's a hell of a load of really intelligent people within them and there's been a lot of success and there'll be more you start thinking that logically what they'll do is um, employ less people but they'll work through intelligent technology that's obviously more seamless and so where we would position foundry in its kind of hollywood scenario for 11fs is that being part of the off the shelf um cutting edge technology that the financial service sector choose to use? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it uh, it allows organisations to replace and and the, the issue is that many uh, many big organisations face when they go through a transformation is uh, they build the new things and never decommission in the old. Yep. Uh, and obviously, what that does is you know there's there's two things. If you're the CEO of a big bank, you worry about is uh, your capex and your opex spend. Um, all that new innovations are doing right now is is layering on through capex investment further opex uh, spend uh, and that's an annual cost that builds up and is a if i'm honest with you is sort of a millstone around any ceo of banks neck right now in terms of being able to understand what their organizations should and could do um, so for us you know being able to decommission all systems consolidate these things down uh, you can you know very much the objective with everything that we're doing with with dmb is about 70 to 80 percent of the cost efficiencies in the back office being removed because if you've got uh, 15 different systems and each system has 17 different layers consolidating all of these things down just from a supplier management perspective uh, the cost efficiencies become really 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 significant uh, and that's just doing the same thing that you're doing cheaper let alone being able to do amazing other things that you never would have dreamed of being able to do before um, you know in many organization the creation of a new product and taking it to market is a, uh, you know, a, a, a process more painful than childbirth and takes a lot longer as well. Uh, so being in a situation where you can actually do, uh, you know, when technology fundamentally becomes a, uh, an enabler rather than a disabler to your business, then businesses can act very, very differently. And how do you think that will make your organization look um, from from a successful um, people um, ananogram. So you've obviously got the, um, the, the C-suite at the top and then to deliver this product where it is um, the foundry has really kind of kicked in. It's, it's um, the infrastructure within many businesses. You've got Pulse kicking off. You've got the professional service business too. What, what does this look like? What type of goals do you have and how does that org chart look? Uh, pretty limitless, really. I mean, in terms of the size of the business, it's uh, it's pretty limitless in terms of actually the the scale that that can get to. I mean, the the, the trick uh, very similar with um, how we started the organisation in the first place is getting the right people in place to run those businesses. And uh, with Leader Glyptis running Foundry, we've got uh, just a phenomenal driving force to have the impact on the industry that she's felt herself being at Kitari National Bank or BMY Mellon. Um, so, you know, I always feel it's like hire people who have felt the, felt the problem firsthand uh, and they're going to be so much better to, to really uh, have the impact that they know that they needed when they were on the other side of the fence. So um, for me, I, I think in terms of the, the scale of the business, then actually, I mean, 11FS, we've, we've grown pretty rapidly in those, those four years, but uh, you know, uh, my aspiration for us, um, you know, when I say I want to change the fabric of financial services, that's not just a, a catchy marketing line. That is, is actually, if I'm honest with you, my expectation, you know, like with this team, then actually anything less than, than really impacting the industry that we are really passionate about helping um, probably feels like a, um, a letdown. So, uh, you know, from, from our perspective, it's, uh, the impact is not really going to be measured in uh, financial gains or, or size of team or, uh, you know, the, 
I don't know how fancy our offices are in five years time or whatever. Um, it's much more about the, the long lasting impact that will have on the industry. And I think within the last four years, I think we're already having a pretty big in, impact as, as it goes. Yes. Um, having worked for 15 years or so in financial technology, which takes you into um, the consulting world as well. So working with strap firms, working with technical consultancies, so on and so forth. I haven't really seen a challenger consultancy come out the blocks as interesting as 11FS. Um, I have seen good you know, risk consultancies come around. Um, I've seen good accounting consultancies. And by that, I just mean it's somebody very senior from McKinsey and you know, they go set up a good shop. But I haven't particularly, and also I've, I've seen pretty good digital consultancies who are servicing a broad consumer market. But 11FS, you know, it certainly caught my attention um, and just look like something completely fresh and innovative um, in the financial service space. And clearly, in terms of what you guys have achieved over the last four years, um, you know, the market has, has adopted that. So it's something to be really proud of. And the goals... Um, that you've got and what you're monitoring, what you're going to measure them on, will be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, if you can achieve that, because there must be other people who are coming to the space now, or going to come and challenge. And then also, I'd, I'd be interested to know how you're seeing the incumbents in not financial services, but the um, the OC Baines, BCG McKinsey, etc., trying to come and take you guys on. <laughs> I mean, I'd say, uh, I mean, in the four years, I think we've had, um, I think it's six or seven offers for to be bought already by uh, some of those big players you mentioned. So, uh, I mean, to start with, as anybody does, um, you know, and initially there's always um, scepticism around the change. Because if I'm honest with you, actually, the thing that we sort of rile against is, is many of the ways that those organizations are structured and actually act really because the world has shifted um you know in a digital environment it's not about having hundreds of people it's about having the the 10 or 20 who can have really got the experience and have really made those things happen and that fundamentally breaks large consultancies business model because when your incentive is actually about putting more people into something than it is the success of the thing that you're doing in the first place, then that starts to be antagonistic to your, the people you're meant to be supporting rather than uh, aligning your objectives and aligning the, the outcome that you're all seeking to, to gain from. So it's been really interesting that side of things, really the, I mean, the market reaction has been phenomenal. You know, the, the work that we're winning from the brands that we're working with that, that side has been amazing. The, the other side in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the big, players going yeah you know don't, don't worry about it they don't know what they're doing uh don't worry about it they'll never deliver anything oh they've delivered a bank oh don't worry about it there's this thing or that thing i mean it's it has been amazing to see them to see them respond as i would expect them to do you know you're you're trying to defend uh the way in which you make money and the way in which you've made money for the last you know 50 60 years so um and good luck to them really we're, we're playing a very different game i think in terms of how we approach transformation uh, within organizations and actually how you make that sustainable for those organizations but it's been um, yeah it's been uh, that that side's been pretty fun I mean we know uh, we know very well firsthand that uh, 
at least four or five of those big players have got um, very specific strategies pointed towards us, which is uh, uh, which is good. I take that as a, a as an amazing compliment that actually we're we're uh, we're we're having a lot of fun, but we're having a lot of impact as well. I saw um I saw a post of yours some time ago, David, whilst whilst stalking you as I do every day, and um <laughs> and it was reflecting on um the 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 title consultancy. So I think you, you posed the question to, to your, um, to your uh, I don't know what they're called, like fans or followers or whatever it might be on whatever platform I was watching this, probably reading this, probably Twitter, you know, are we a consultancy? What is 11FS? What do you guys feel we are? We feel like we're more than that. Um, now I do this uh, myself with my own business because um, we're, we're a search business, fundamentally Mana Search, but because we're operating um, in the SME high growth space, really to do a good job, we have to operate at the recruitment and the search level. Because it's just not, there's, there's no point coming in, um, let's use the, a business like a funding circle and just bringing their C suite in. Because we have to learn so much about their culture that by that point, we become um, passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, we want to bring their data scientists and uh, product individuals and really partner with the business. So if you're, sure. a, if you're a large global search firm, um, then you don't need to do this because you go to Barclays or you go to uh, Credit Suisse. The fees are massive because the salaries are massive and, and, and you, you operate your business just as a search business. And if you're a recruitment business, you go to Credit Suisse or Barclays and you just place the 200 developers into their, uh, their tech team. Whereas in the SME world, um, you really want to partner with the business and you want to get both for that business. So I come up against a lot uh, people saying, well, you guys are recruiters. And my, my initial reaction to this was, how dare you? <laughs> you know, how dare you call us recruiters? You don't understand what we do. Um, and then sometimes actually, you know, when people say, well, you guys are search businesses, you're just charging 33%. You know, how are you possibly justifying uh, that fee and so on and so forth. Um, then, I, then I get annoyed as well because I'm like, well, don't put us in the, the category of search businesses. You know, we're more mm. agile than that. We're, do, we're doing a different thing here. Um, and so I'm like, well, should we change what we're called? Like, you know, am I a talent consultancy? Am I, and it sounds like you're a model agency or something. So, so many, many times I'm reflecting this in the shower in the morning thinking about this very vain point. And then, you know, I, I get to the, realization at some point that maybe I should just try and make that terminology for us anyway more credible um, sure I wondered how your journey with that because it's very similar has been also yeah being, being affiliated mean, with that term I mean my my um my dislike for the word consultant comes from experiencing many consultants unfortunately uh, and actually I think the, the the sort of prefix around consultant brings uh, kind of a, a manifestation of somebody who just creates PowerPoint and doesn't make the thing happen. And actually, I th if I'm honest with you, I mean, our, our fascination with technology is only to do stuff and make stuff happen in the same way as our fascination with strategy is only in, to uh, enable us to actually put it into place and, and do things. So, uh, I mean, people always ruin namings and then a name is is only really ever what you you sort of give it meaning but um but i think it's um to your point really actually 
you know, whatever limits, whatever name you put on something. I mean, I, I always say again, it's 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 the way in which we do anything that matters most, not what we do. And actually, once you've got that machine where you can, you've got you know, highly trained, highly motivated people, whatever you shine that light on, whether it's strategy or delivery or recruitment or media or whatever, people pursue it in the same way with the same level of teamwork, with the same level of perfectionism, with the same level of restlessness. Um, so it does, I don't really mind what people uh, call us, so long as we sort of don't lose that, uh, that impetus and that movement in terms of kind of what we're doing. I think the, um, you know, the interesting thing about sort of uh, names and sort of, I think you can often, I think, I think people kind of uh, really only, that only really matters if people don't know what you do. Um, and actually from our perspective, I mean, we, we spend such a, a perversely limited amount of time talking about uh, what we do and so much more in the industry talking about what we believe, because actually, if you if you work that way and and, I, and again I, I think the other the other thing that's a bit weird about us in in a nice way is that uh we don't try and hide anything we tell you everything that we're doing we show you everything that we're thinking well you know i will tell you my strategy and i will still do it and it will still work and it's fine because we talk so little about our products and services in the market but actually talk so much about what we believe that the market and the industry is doing that then people come and ask us about the products and services that we do. Um, and actually, I mean, you see this so often with big brands, they lose, they lose that their, uh, their selling point is their purpose. It's not, their selling point is not their products. Does that make sense? Branding is so important in all of these things, because if actually, if actually we were a core banking vendor and a consultancy, well, I mean, actually that changes the dynamic of what you do because what does, what does Accenture do? I mean, Accenture does whatever the clients tell Accenture to do. That's what they do. Right. Yeah. Um, from our perspective, it's like, actually we're here because we believe financial services is moving in this direction and actually with partners and, and clients and various different people in the, you know, regulators, banks, governments, whatever, like anybody in that mix, we want to shape that vision of that future with, um, and, and for us, then it, it becomes, um, you know, our culture, the talent, the vision, you know, the things that we do, the things that we say, then become magnetic for really big industry problems that people then ask us to solve. And it, I think it's, it's flipped that model. You know, it's not, um, it's no longer consultancy gets a bad rep because it's some middle-aged dude having lots of drinks and coffees with like a bunch of other middle-aged dudes to like generate a relationship and have have uh, you know do work together um it's not how we work at all like this is about being uh, relevant to people and through creating narrative and cre through creating relevancy to people then you find it becomes magnetic for other people who are just like look like i just like how you go about doing these things therefore i'd love to work with you i'd love to work you know for you i'd love to partner with you that so interesting weird opportunities just continually keep popping up and uh, and um and i think a big part of that is just down to how we approach um you know sharing what we're doing or sharing our working out or publishing chains of consciousness when we're sort of milling over regulatory changes or whatever but um i don't think people um i don't think people are used to people being 
so transparent and so authentic. Uh, and I think somewhere between the combination of these two things has been a, a recipe for um, magnetism that um, I think, don't think we really even understand ourselves, if I'm honest with you. But uh, whatever it is, we'll keep doing it. Yeah, well, so, uh, you know, looking at the fintech space, um, which is five years ahead of the, the search or recruitment space, which is great because I can emulate it um, to a degree, try my best. I realized that about messaging and I realized about transparency when I started seeing that the most frustrating things for, for candidates was that they'd go onto a job board and it would just say, great company in the city, you know, if you've got C-sharp, apply. Um, and then that's the other hundred ads and it's so disengaging. You're trying to work out who, who the role's with. So we decided, well, it would just be better if we just post who the company is. And if that means that our competition approach that company and take our business off, off us, then we're not doing a very good job because uh, we should have probably already filled it by then um, or we should have such a good partnership. And if they do um, just emulate us the whole time, then, uh, then that's fine. But in the meantime, there's, there's just nobody who's doing what I've seen good practice to be from you guys and FinTech where they're also saying the same thing, which is, we're not perfect right now you know we're trying and we're doing some really great stuff and we're working towards um being proud about how we service talent within this market and jump on board the mission and something we're really trying to at mana search um learn from fintech who've done that i think for the last three to four years really well uh, and, and i mean if you if you can do that i mean it just breeds a it breeds a completely different element of honesty i think the I mean, we, we try and do that in as many different forms as we can do, which is, I mean, on the podcast, I mean, we're, the podcast was born out of, Fintech Insider was born out of just us sitting in the pub having conversations and we would disagree and we would, I would get stuff wrong and Jason would and Chris would and Simon and all different people. Um, but on the podcast, we put all of that stuff out and I, and I think it kind of has caught people off guard quite heavy because actually uh, you know for a podcast to do that sure but for a company to like put out like a polite argument that they had internally in a meeting as a podcast to talk like it sort of does it like can you imagine pitching that at kpmg it's like hey we're going to get three partners together they're probably going to disagree about a subject matter they're not going to toe the party line in terms of what the company thinks and then we're going to probably I don't know, give them beers or something and then maybe throw in the CEO of a bank and see what happens and then just put all that out. They'll be, they just think you're crazy. But um, for us that it's, um, you know, it just changes the dynamic because yes, we can have a disagreement. Yes, we can get something wrong. Um, but as you say, like nothing, people only ever pretend to be perfect. Nobody ever is perfect. And actually what we, uh, what we try and prove is, is that actually, um, you know, the, the, the ability to say you're wrong and move forward is literally like test and learn. It's like, actually, if you, if you can't uh, change your opinion based on new information, then you're, you're, really, uh, you're really in a problematic situation, which is where the industry has, has been, really. It's like, yeah, the internet won't catch on. Don't worry about it. It'll all go away. Whoops. Um, so, so, you know, for us, that's that, that real transparency and all of that uh, has been great for us, but equally it's been perversely like, um, bizarre when you start bringing people in. I mean, there's been many of occasions, um, people listen to the podcast before they talk to us in real life. Therefore 
they know how we are and they know how we act. And, you know, this conversation is exactly how um, I will be with the CEO of a bank or the board of a bank or wherever, you know, it's, we, we just are us. And um, that was one of the most important things for me setting up the business was actually, you know, having been a banker or a consultant or whatever, um, having an organization where you don't have that pretense and you don't have to pretend to be something else is is the most freeing thing that you can have, not just as an entrepreneur, but actually to to give to employees. Because actually, if you if you're really uh, at home with yourself in the organization where you're working, your ability to do the best work that you can ever do is is so much greater. Um, you know that thirty percent of your your brain where you're you know trying to manage and maintain you know a sense and sensibility of being a, a banker or a consultant or whatever. Um, getting that time back, getting that brain power back means I'm just, I'm more efficient now than ever before. Uh, and I put so much of that down to just really being me now. Yeah, there's, um, there's uh, tests, isn't there? Personality profiles that, um, I mean, you know, I used to do a load of these when I was headhunting for people and companies where you have somebody's um, kind of normal personality and then you have their personality under pressure and then you have their work mask, uh, and they're always so different. And uh, it's it's completely as you say. You know, when you either run your own operation or or you feel free within your job to be yourself, it's just so much nicer. <laughs> and uh, I think what we're seeing at the moment uh, with a lot of people, majority of people working, you know, at their home, um, becoming more uh, online and vocal and collaborating with teammates on Slack and such is I think we might be seeing very positive progress towards that. People aren't putting the suit on um, or, or whatever the work mask is and then, you know, ushering off into their office. And it, I mean, in the startup world, of course, it's been open plan and cool. But I imagine that that's having a really big effect in some of those big organizations where people now are like, this is cool. I'm just being myself a little bit more. And that's a really positive thing. And when I try and find out, um, you know, from candidates who are often very successful but aren't happy in their role, what it is, and we get down to it. This is the whole mana element of, uh, of this show and, and, and the business. It will tend to be that. It will be influences on them that don't allow them to operate how they want to. And so what I think we've seen over the last three or four years is a bunch of people become entrepreneurs because they want to break away from that. Um, and actually, they're not entrepreneurs. They shouldn't set up businesses. Uh, that's the wrong reason to set up a business, it, in my opinion. Um, mm. But if you can find the environment where you're entrepreneurial uh, or able to be yourself, then you're, you'll typically be much, much happier in your career. So, David, that's a really good view of what's going on um, at 11 FS right now and what you're doing. Um, if we look back through the arc of your career, um, what we're trying to do is searching for mana beyond present. Um, industry leaders from the fintech space is also find the commonality um, in in traits, behaviours, views that seems to to run across them, and and would allow our audience to to consider which path they might want to take or or what what hacks might allow them to be more successful. So if we rein into yours, are there some things that run through the career that um, you think have allowed you to? to get to this point and have all the success that you have? Um, I, I think, um, 
if I'm honest, I, I think there are a few, the few things that I've I've always tried to uh, I've always sort of tried to 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 do. Um, there's a few sort of origins of of that. Uh, predominantly, if I'm honest with you, from from uh, how my mum and dad brought me up. If I'm honest with you, it's uh, I think work ethic is something that you get really early, um, and actually, I think the the sort of cause and effect to that is a is a is remarkable really but i mean i should say i mean my my um uh i mean if i read any of my uh sort of report cards from school to you then they'd all pretty much read uh david is very polite uh but just doesn't try very hard uh you know he's you know he turns up well he's well you know well presented his shirt's always tucked in just doesn't try very hard and it was pretty much like that all the way um all the way through education really because i um uh i just wasn't really interested i mean i was a sports guy really so i you know i did uh i played a, i think 11 county sports from athletics to rugby to basketball to all sorts of different types of things so and i was just naturally very good at that you know i could uh i could win without really having to try very hard um so uh, you know illusions of grandeur on that side of things meant i i didn't really ever try um and i was i mean i was playing basketball to a, a decent level and, and unfortunately um you know playing that and and, and with uh, uh sort of a career ahead of me to fall back into potentially physiotherapy and that side of things uh, unfortunately all the ligaments in my left knee uh torn in in one bad accident and um had to get a proper job so um but i still say i mean i think i learned more about business from team sports and playing sports uh, than I ever did through being in business. Um, I mean, I think that is part why I, I've always felt slightly like I'm, uh, you know, behind enemy lines uh, than I am necessarily uh, at the job or the job that I am. I've never really felt like I was a banker or a consultant or whatever. It was just something I was doing for that period of time to, to learn it and understand it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I moved from the, the sort of sports side of things to doing, thankfully, um, the same year that my, my dad bought me my first basketball, he also bought me my first computer. So I, I kind of got pretty good at both of those things at the, uh, at the same time and uh, moved into computing and mathematics. And, uh, and then sort of the, the reality there was, I mean, I kind of coasted a little bit to start with and, and sort of did similar to what I did. I didn't do badly, but I didn't do great. Um, and actually, it was the results day of my uh, undergrad degree in computing where I I remember it so vividly uh, and it really sort of drives me even even now I remember walking out of the the hallway of uh, picking up the letter and you know having it in my hand and the you know for some reason really vividly the the yellow railings that were kind of outside and realizing that actually you know I'd got a 2-1 in computing and and by all means, that's a, a good grade. By no means is that should people be too disappointed with that. But realize that actually there's suddenly 100,000 other people out there just like me with the grade, just like I've got with the exact same potential, with the exact same uh, outlook on life. Uh, and actually just realizing that actually I hadn't applied myself. I hadn't worked as hard as I could. And and really, I'd, I'd sort of betrayed a little bit the um the trust that my mum and dad had really put into me to put in the effort and and come good and uh, literally at that second I, I remember the you know the the click of the switch going off in my head was whatever i put myself into i would work 
harder than anybody else around me. Um, and that's all I've done ever since. You know, I, I decided there and then to go and do a, uh, a master's uh, degree. I went and applied myself as hard as I could. I came out with a double first. I think I had a 88 or 89% average across the piece. Um, and um, yeah, I've literally just thrown myself into everything that I kind of go into. And, and actually, I think the, the difference between really the, the, the people that I've come up against and, and, and come across who have really moved forwards and been successful is that ethic of um, making something happening and moving something forward. Um, Jason was, uh, I mean, he sort of refers to me as uh, the Incredible Hulk. Um, not because of my temper tantrums or my uh, or my uh, personality traits, but um, but my superpower is very much about making something happen and moving it forwards. Um, you know, I will be completing actions before the meeting's ended. I'll be pushing things forwards. You know, to to make them happen and move them move them uh, in the direction that they need to. Because um, really, you know, most people can come up with good ideas. Most people can have a great idea for a business, but it's actually executing it and getting other people to believe the thing that you believe that really differentiates the uh, the good from the great, uh, in, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I was I was lucky enough to, to sort of learn that lesson and, um, you know, it not hinder me too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, since that lesson learned, then um, it's been a pretty easy, easy rule to live by. When you are... Um when you were playing a number of sports at a high level um, in, in your teenage years, and um, you say that you were, you're just good at them, right? Um, that, um, that is probably true, but also that fire that then um, happened in your career when you realized, okay, I'm gonna be tenacious, I'm gonna take things over the line. It probably was still part of the element that you were so successful at sport across many different disciplines too. So if you actually really think about it, it's a natural physical talent. So you may well have, if you're playing many sports, been very well coordinated. Um, you might have had quick, um, what's it called? You'll know this if you're gonna be a physio, quick tissue, muscle memory. Uh, fast twitch muscles and, fast and twitch. slow twitch muscles, yeah. But, yeah. I, had, uh, I had very good um, kinesthesis, like the hand-eye coordination and everything yeah. around that was, was, was sort of off the charts. But yeah. like I say, it was, a, it was the determination in it that was yeah. really the thing that made me push. But I agree with you. There's, I mean, I, I, I genuinely believe the laterals between sports and business are much uh, misunderstood. Um, and in fact, in fact, if I'm honest with you, I think sport in itself is is really sort of misunderstood as well. I think there are a lot of a lot of people that think when when people try. I mean, I Eleven uh, FS we we embody uh, many elements of sports psychology and sports science that we bring into the the business world because actually I, I think there are real massive lessons that you can leave there because sports all about performance. Um, it's about psychology and physiology. It's not just about you know hulk smash it's about the bruce banner side of uh, of hulk that makes hulk what he is right so you know I, I think if you can really uh understand the psychology of people because uh nobody ever wins anything just by brute force um if anything in order to be brute force you have to have good phys uh you know psychology side of things to have the the grit and the determination, the metal to to continue to to sort of put your your mind and your body through those things. So, 
um, you know, I think many different sports, whether it's boxing or basketball, you know, the the, the greatest players are the ones who are, are most self-aware. Um, but it's yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I I, I actually bring a lot of that into day to day life at Eleven FS because I feel it gives us a a different type of edge. It's not about you know macho kind of locker room mentality. It's not you know drinking beers and like you know going out late type you know rugby club type stuff um it's about really the if you really monitor and measure and give people a vision if you really understand the psychological side of things that literally every individual on the planet is completely different and the thing that motivates one is very different to the one that motivates another um i mean i'm really i'm often quoting the the nigel clough quote of uh you know, they've just got whooped 4-0, uh, Nottingham Forest, they're coming off the pitch and every player requires a completely different pep talk. Some of them need a, you know, kick up the backside. Some of them need telling it was the best game they've ever played. Some people need nothing. Um, you know, these things for me, bringing that into the business world, um, most managers manage people how they want to be managed. They don't use self-awareness and empathy to understand what makes that person tick and what what's their motivation how do i how do i get the best out of them as an individual um and i think bringing that into the business sense again i, I think has been one of the reasons why we've been um abnormally successful in this space because i mean our, our vision is to change the fabric of financial services but but our, our mission is is much simpler than that it's it's actually just to unleash talent um and actually if we create that environment where performance is something that people are on the same side of the table trying to improve performance um you know pep guardiola does not you know wonder why sergio aguero is not scoring and do nothing about it and tell him in a performance review a year from now like he he's there trying to get him get every you know percent of improvement that they can by aligning their mission aligning their vision aligning their values how they play you know nutrition and psychology and all of these different things and for us uh, you know the business world is the same as you know we have an amassed an amazing an array of talent um focusing on how that talent now goes about their day-to-day -day basis you know their day-to-day -day lives um is where we then start being being able to do what it takes 500 people to do with 50 um and that uh, i you know so misunderstood and uh so many people are just not um not looking at sports for for business topic advice for sure you got the guy over your shoulder there david uh mr jordan mm. i think that's him right is that yeah, it is yeah jordan there um it is he's he's very famously quoted isn't he saying that he's um he's missed more more shots than any other man who's ever lived but therefore he's also made more um, which is that that type of point about um, you know the mistakes but keep on persevering and the successes come um, yeah I mean and, and actually uh, I mean to that to that point I think that's definitely something that I've, I've brought from that is you know however many shots you take and however many you lose if you if you let it affect how you take the next shot that's when it's getting to you um, and um, you know I think you've got to have a lot of self-belief and a lot of you know personal confidence to do sports but also to to run a company and and you know run a business because um it's similar to i mean if you're 
stood at the free throw line taking a shot, it's a very lonely place. Um, and actually, if you're you know, the CEO of an organization making decisions, it's an equally lonely yeah. place. But if you've got that self-belief and that confidence, then uh, um, you know what you're going to do is right, whether you achieve it or not. So I um, am aware that if you were just to class my profession as consultants, you know, finding individuals who've captained sports teams is a pretty good thing to go, go out there and get. Um, for, for the other reason you just mentioned, which is that they're able to influence individuals um, and they're able to influence them using different types of um, techniques. But if we take um, sport out um, and some of my clients, some of you know, the best head funds out there, they, they'll say that we're not just looking for them to have gone to Harvard. We want colour on the page <laughs> um, as well. You know, this person needs to be insanely passionate about something else. If I look at um, 11, 11FS, you've, you've hired some incredible um, people straight out of university. What are you looking for? How are you making sure those guys are um, going to be fantastic team players, people who are accountable themselves? Can you talk us through that, please, as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, talent is the sort of single most important thing in the organization, like full stop. Yeah. Because your your whole company is based on the people you have. Uh, I mean, the CEO, uh, you know, the, the management team as an entirety. I mean, you set the you set the framework. Um, but essentially, the the talents that you have in the organization, their their traits, their personalities, their abilities, their mentalities. They they are the things that create the culture of your company. And the culture is, you know, the, the thing that makes everything happen. So, you know, for me, the, the way in which we do that is um, uh, an alarmingly high reliance on, on recruiting for culture, um, which requires a, a, a real level of self-awareness of what you want your organization to be and what you want your organization not to be. Um, and many, sadly, again, many organizations don't know that. Uh, it's why when I, when I say it's the way in which you do it, not what is most important, this is exactly what I mean. It's, it's not the way as in like, you know, uh, the, the methodology for creating a digital bank. It's the way we are as human beings. Um, and that, that's the most critical thing because, I mean, for us, I mean, up until recently, I mean, we've just, we've got um, Michael Kurds, uh, 11FS right now, who's our CPO, who um, we managed to bring Michael and um, uh, the team, actually, they were all over at uh, BCG Ventures, um, recruiting for BCG Ventures. And we managed to get the whole team to move over, which was awesome. Um, and they're doing such an amazing job now. Michael's really culturally aligned. But up until that point, I was doing, you know, most of the recruitment, most of the filtering, most of the interviews. Um, and I um, then and we still do now, you know, we hire on cultural alignment so heavily and finding people who uh, not only are phenomenal at the thing that they're doing, but actually, I always say it's like you've got to be an expert at something, but you've got to be fascinated by other people's expertise, because if you if you're. Uh, if you are great at something and you revere yourself, but not other people, then you're not going to play on a team very well. Uh, and actually, in terms of the way in which we work is um, when you're in an organization, I mean, if you look at, again, 
if you look at the, the team that we've got, you look at Sarah Kachansky, who, you know, Business Insider done amazing things. Benjamin Enser joined us from Forrester, ran Forrester for 20 years. Uh, you know, Ryan Wareham as CEO or leader or Jason or Ewan or whoever. Um, like, there's no place for an ego in that spot because everybody in this organization has done something better than you have. Um, and if you're confident enough and comfortable enough to realize that actually the thing that you were great at about their organization, uh, there's like three people here are, are, are more experienced than you at that thing now. Then um, if you've got that confidence, that comfort in that, and if anything that spurs you on to, to learn more and to move more and to improve your, scarf, uh, your, your craft and your skills, um, they're the types of people that we're kind of looking for. And, um, and for you, you, know, you hit the, the, the nail on the head with the word passion. Um, you know, if you are passionate about the thing that you're doing and it doesn't really matter what the thing is that you're doing, if it's graphic illustration or I don't know how Kubernetes works or audio engineering, whatever, um, 11FS, if you're really deeply passionate about doing it, that rubs off on everybody else. Uh, and if everybody is then passionate about the thing that they do, and as I say, uh, you know, uh, inquisitive enough about other people's passion as well, the whole system works really, really effectively. Um, and again, it's, it's been that catalyst that actually has allowed us to drive further and further forward because uh, we, we talk about, about uh, I mean, one of our values is, is about embrace your weird. Um, what's the thing that you're so weird about? What's the thing that you would get out of bed and do anyway because you're so passionate you're so weird about that thing whether it's i mean our cfo joe lovely lady she is weird about finances like weird about finances in a in a really beautiful way um and that's a great thing to have because if everybody is doing the thing that they're most weird about then um everybody is probably going to be the most happy that they can be um and that means they're probably going to be the most productive that they've ever been and we achieve our mission <laughs> There's um, it's fantastic advice. It's something that has um, certainly been talked about in different ways from a few guests um, in a in a similar-ish type of position to you, where they've got um, a brilliant culture in a in a in, a, in an organisation. Um, it's just where where you've got that team to connect with the thing, whether it's classed as weird or passion or purpose. Um, and, you know, like, like a Steve Jobs would have said, you know, every day he wake up, look in the mirror and say, like, is this what I want to do with my day to day? And if the answer is yes, then uh, then it's cool. Right. You know, go and go and go and give it your best in that in that any which day. And it's exactly what I'm trying to kind of encourage people to do with their careers. It's exactly what I'm trying to look for when I'm you know, analyzing it. Should this person come and join our culture right now? Um, yeah. And, and you know the you phrase know, it's, it's it's interesting i mean the jobs the jobs thing is interesting because uh jobs as in steve jobs um because i mean he, he just wasn't a very nice guy i mean he did a, he did amazing amazing things but seemingly was just a pretty unlikable human being you know and actually i mean it's i don't mean that in any disservice obviously the guy's dead and you know i don't mean any disrespect from that but um I think when you're a founder, you have a real, I think you have a decision to make. What type of, what type of CEO, what type of business do you want to run? For me, uh, you know, many organizations, many founder-led organizations go down the, um, 
dictatorial kind of autocratic leadership style where actually it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks in the organization i'm in charge and this is my company and i will make the decisions that just sounds terrible to me i mean like genuinely and I, and i and again i think it comes with a, a lack of um self-awareness uh, and even potentially a lack of confidence in some of those people there as well They're, um i mean i'm i'm not the best product manager at 11fs like jason is i'm not the best engineer like that's you and and i'm probably not the best talker like that's, I, i'm in fact i'm definitely not that's leader she's phenomenal at that stuff you know so you know for me it's it's actually if you wanted a uh, an autocratic if you want to make every decision yourself why hire really smart people um if you really want to be in a situation where you create a um uh, an organization that is a performance-based culture then actually you've got to enable people to make decisions uh, on a daily basis because if you make all the decisions for somebody then they rely on you to make the decisions for them and therefore you make all the decisions and they just do what you tell them to do um at 11fs i i kind of don't want to make any decision and not because i'm like abstaining or i'm like guys i'm you know I'm like not Donald Trump. Like I'm not like off down the golf course every like three hours or anything. You know, I just, I just don't think the CEO should be making all the decisions. I think you hire smart people, you create a culture of decision-making push to the edges so people can move quickly. And then you let people get things wrong if they get things wrong. Um, so, I mean, the, the thing I sort of rile against a little bit when I, you know, with the, you know, jobs is obviously such a um, charismatic uh, leader. But I think the reality of it is on a day-to-day basis, yes, he got the results, but actually did he, uh, did he take everybody with him? When Steve Jobs left Apple, Apple was in a really bad place. Um, when Steve Jobs died, it, Apple was in a really bad place. Um, I think leaders have got to create sustainability in the systems that are around them because, my, I mean, I, I've joked with my chairman before, like my single objective at 11FS really for, for you know, for my sanity and, and me is that I could leave the business for three months and it would be as successful as it is when I'm there. Um, because if I don't, then I'm not creating a business that's sustainable. I'm creating the, the David Breer show. Uh, and it's, there's a reason why it's not Breer, Bates and Taylor, you know, like it's just <laughs> not a, uh, you know, it, that's not what we want 11FS to be. We want it to be everybody's business and people taking personal responsibility for their thing. And that doesn't mean, you know, Breer Sermon in the Mounts, you know, it's a, it's a, a very different, um, a very different purpose that you set those things up for. Yeah. So um, I use this quote and uh, I'm, I'm also um, agreeing with you that there's a common perception that, um, you know, he, he was a bastard to work for, it seems but truly brilliant in certain elements that he brought um, at various points. Having read many of his biographies and other people's biographies, just as my weird passion, which is partly what they're searching for honor is, um, I'm trying to find more than just success as well. So, of course, he had success, uh, as many other individuals do. And what's really interesting is that they weren't happy at the end of the um, the journey necessarily and what you're trying to find is you're trying to find an individual who's had success but also enjoyed the journey and also is then a well-rounded individual 
and has treated you know his family well and um, has been generous with his time and I think some people have got this very well and these are the guys to try and aspire to be right because what's the point of being 60 rich and bitter um, there's none there's absolutely none right um, so, yeah, so and, I, and I think I think that's the whole purpose of starting your own business if I'm honest with you um, I mean I it's why I struggle. Yeah, I mean, when you say, so where is 11FS going to go? I mean, I, or, you know, what's the future of Foundry or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we're sort of making decisions and mo moving that stuff forwards daily. You know, it changes and it moves forward and it gets, you know, every day it's getting bigger and there's more momentum. It's like a snowball hurtling down a, uh, down a, down the side of a, uh, you know, a piece. But I mean, the, the most important thing for me really is I, I've created an organization. You know, we have all created an organization. That I just love being in every day. Um, I think if you're an entrepreneur and you don't enjoy the journey, uh, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're just there to create something, to get to the end of it, to have an exit, to put money in the bank, to say that you did that thing, or you're that guy, or get some sort of celebrity status or whatever. I mean, none of that stuff for me has any meaning. I love working with everybody that I work with. Um, every day, whenever it's, even now with all the things that's happening with coronavirus, like I love working with this team. Um, I would do this and not be paid for it. And I think that's the greatest thing. I've, I've created my perfect job, which is for me, the, the best thing in the world. But I hope that's not just for me, you know, I do as much as I can to create the, as, as, as best I can do the perfect job for everybody who works at 11FS. Um, and, and I think, and again, it's, uh, it's easy to say that, but I think if you talk to anybody at 11FS, I think you'll get that um, same perception as well. So if we um, move to just the final segment um, of the show, then I'd like to um, talk to you, because it would be remiss not to for our audience, um, some of the trends that are going on in the space. You're a an absolute outlier here, David. Um, just, just to clarify, if anybody hasn't or isn't aware of the show, which I'm sure most people are, um, there is somewhere in the realms of 400 um, FinTech Insider shows now that have been released. There is um, morning shows that are, are very topical, news orientated on um, companies in the FinTech space. Um, so you, you are a true outlier in terms of understanding exactly what's going on in the trends. Um, I'd like to just kind of give you an open forum to, to, to discuss what you think might be happening next. Um, we've seen um, some, you know, headline businesses over the last four or five years scale. Um, people in the street will have experienced, you know, colorful cards in their wallet and so on and so forth. Um, more recently, we've seen headlines of companies like Played, you know, being acquired for five billion pounds. So FinTech has, has hit the broad financial press. Um, and you've been part of this scene. What's going to happen next? What do you expect the headlines to be? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, thank goodness we work in these times. Is all I'm saying is like um, you know the the world is changing so quickly. The regulatory flame framework globally is changing so much. The technological frameworks are changing you know day in day out, and you know new technology is both coming to market and being commoditized quicker than ever before. Uh, we're seeing, as you say, the since the financial crisis in 2008, we've seen swathes of new organizations come to market and scale. You know, Monzo's got 5.4 million customers, I think, now. Uh, you know, and like you say, 
various different players are kind of getting to real significant scale now that it's actually having a, a real impact. And all of this is kind of changing the pressures on those big incumbent organizations who are um, in many instances choosing to uh, fight back on those players and learn new ways of going about doing things. So, I mean, the, the industry is changing so dramatically and, uh, and we really need it. I mean, we are all consumers of financial services and, you know, we all know that actually our, our ability to make decisions around financial products are based on things most people just don't understand. Like it's a sad reality, but I mean, most people's mental arithmetic or, you know, understanding what API is, is not really there. So, um, you know, financial services needs to provide much better services. Um, and because of the changing landscape and the, the new uh, competitors in this market, then customers stand to gain so much because, you know, the, the vying for their custom uh, is going to be better than ever. You know, their ability to switch is much greater. Uh, and now we actually have things to switch to that are really good alternatives to the, you know, big traditional high street banks. So for me, uh, you know, whether it's working in the industry in fintech or whether it's, you know, being in a, in a bank or whether it's just a customer on the street, then, um, you know, financial services is, is changing the way in which people interact with their money. Uh, and ultimately, uh, in many instances, uh, helping people make more of it or uh, at least keep hold of it a little bit longer. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the exponential growth in technology, particularly in, you know, the advent and, and uh, you know, adoption of, of the Internet uh, has driven so much change. But the future is is an amazing thing. I mean, when you sort of peer forward into the world where, you know, we're, we're sort of seeing advancements in artificial intelligence and the abilities of uh, distributing contextually information, you know, we all say if uh, if banking was, we use the, the acronym digital riches, but, you know, banking fundamentally was real-time, intelligent, contextual, human, extendable, and social. Actually, how different a service can it create? You know, if it's contextual because it knows where you are 24-7, then actually it can provide services to you that actually never would have been ever before uh, possible. Um, and because of this, it, it feels like, um, you know, when we say digital banking is is only 1% finished, like is the, the sort of mantra at 11FS really, it's because we believe that there's 99% of this journey to go. You know, the, the best of banking is is very much still to come. And if you, uh, um, I know your, I know your your um, your co-founder Simon has a has a, a blockchain cryptocurrency podcast that's that's separated out. But um, some of your backgrounds in blockchain, isn't it? In, in in one of the last roles you had, so so you're you're on the pulse with this as well, I assume. Now I'm seeing um, BTC rise rapidly at the moment, and I'm I'm hearing a lot of people saying that this could be going to the moon. So. So what do we do? Do we get back in? Is Bitcoin got a place moving forward? Do I throw some money in? <laughs> I mean, in the midst of a global pandemic, I, I think you're better off buying toilet paper than Bitcoin right now. <laughs> but uh, um, I think um, I think crypt cryptocurrency is is super super interesting, and distributed ledger technology is is super super interesting as well. Um, but um, but I think at this stage, uh, you know, there's some really interesting work that's going on in places like the FCA and the Bank of England to look at you know, central government um, facilitated cryptocurrencies. And actually, I think these things could start to become 
more mainstream and have much more significant impact from a global perspective. Um, but as it stands, you know, there are some pretty significant limitations when it comes to the, the technology side that means that it in its in existing incarnate incarnation, um, it's just not going to be what people really want it to be. Yeah. Um, so I'd say, you know, in, in the way any good technologist needs to know all of the different things that actually are at disposal when you are coming to solve a problem, then people really need to understand DLT. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced just yet that it's a, uh, a good enough technology that provides a, a good enough uh, alternative to some of the more traditional ways of, of solving these problems, really, and definitely not in the, the foreseeable future. But, um, you know, for some use cases, uh, there is a, a pretty interesting future ahead for DLT. Um, but when it comes to Bitcoin, then um, I'd probably save you money. And if you really want to buy a commodity, I'd buy gold right now. Well, I appreciate that. And um, just just lastly, um, you guys are a really interesting um, point. You've got a load of success. There's been some some offers. Um, it sounds like from from larger consultancies of which you turned away because you guys are loving the journey and will carry on loving the journey unquestionably. Um, particularly you, because you you put yourself in the position where where you know you've got a bunch of people that that can. Uh, can kind of do a load of stuff and you're you're uh, just just setting the strategy moving forward so uh, an awesome role to be to be in and a position to be in would you take the chance right now on raising a huge round from venture or, or wherever it might be to really just aggressively kind of take the market more um no simple answer i mean from from my perspective um uh i mean we're pretty aggressive as it stands right now um i think actually um there is a, a definitely a diminishing returns to investment um in terms of i mean i think there's only so quickly you can scale an organization without breaking it um i often kind of say it's it's like um it's like cooking soup you don't put all the salt in at once else you uh, spoil the taste, right? So from, from our perspective, I think adding talent, uh, I always, again, going back to the summer summer um, sports kind of vibe, uh, I always kind of like to think of the summer signings as the, as the thing that we kind of align around year in, year out, really. And if you look at every year of 11FS, there's been four or five major signings that actually move the organization forward in a, in a very significant way. Um, so for me, I, I think, um, I think having too much money is, is how many organizations get into a problem. And, and I should say, I mean, we've 11FS has been, been profitable from about seven weeks into the business. Um, you know, I'm pretty old fashioned when it comes to business, I believe they should make money and I believe they should make profit. Um, but we choose to, as you can imagine, look, we're building a core banking system and full stack architecture. We're reinvesting all of the, the profit that we, we make back into the various different elements of the business to keep us going and keeping us moving forwards. Um, I think a VC often can muddy the waters with the, the purpose and the, the, the mentality of the organization and mix why it was set up and, and what they want it to do. Um, and, um, for me, I, I, I think at this stage, uh, you know, the best thing we can do is, is just keep doing what we're doing. 
um, you know, keep that magnet for talent high up, keep that magnet up for, for really interesting work, uh, stay true to who we are and stay true to what we believe. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll be annoying more competitors and uh, doing more fun things as, as the times go by. I'm sure that'd be the case. What are you doing? Um, what are you doing outside of work? If you get any time, David, any, any hobbies or anything interesting to, to talk the audience through? Do you know what I? Uh, I've got uh, I've got a six-year-old and I've got an eight-year-old and I've got a wife. Uh, when I'm not uh, when I'm not uh, being uh, being the CEO of Eleven FS, I'm uh, I'm being husband or I'm being dad, um, and um, that fills up pretty much most of my time. Fantastic! Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Incredibly insightful, and um, I'm sure you guys will just keep on going on from success to success. Cheers, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care.